Hi, I'm Kathy, and welcome back to Cathartic Conversations Podcast. And I want to thank you for joining us today. Today, we have a guest who was featured in Psychology Today for helping adults and children with childhood trauma and also people who are having trouble adjusting to today's ever-changing realities. He is a therapist, and I'm glad to have him on the show. I asked him to come to the show today to talk about depression. Cathartic Conversation Podcast, please welcome Jamal Bryant to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Hi, Dr. Therapist Ryan. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I've been been called doctor many times, especially when uh, when working in the hospital. Okay, very good. Now I wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself and is depression one of your one of your specialties? Yeah, you can say that. It's, it's something that I've come across commonly throughout the time that I've been practicing. Uh, so I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been um, working for about the past 10 years. Um, in graduate school, I interned in the State Psychiatric Hospital, also in a partial care program okay. um, afterwards. And then I worked for an outreach program to help individuals from the State Psychiatric Hospital to transition into their apartments. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, and I've, uh, I was promoted at the outreach service and then uh, also promoted um, as, a, as a screener as well. And then currently I work um, in outpatient and outpatient clinic and I also uh, do private practice and that's what my psychology today profile is. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, when you started until the time of the pandemic, was there escalation in your patient uh, patients and... Um, because I know there's a call for it more now than ever. So did you see an escalation or did you see an even kill? So interestingly enough, um, I had just entered private practice right as the pandemic. Was oh, happening. wow. That's interesting. Um, so, uh, and that was just convenient. It wasn't like planned or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a heavy influx of uh, clients that were coming through. Um, I'd say like easily half of the folks that I see in private practice are in the mid-20s. Oh, wow. Um, so it's right in that age group that got really hit mm-hmm. the most, not um, only because of the pandemic, but also because of, you know, like since 2016, for obvious reasons, there's been a lot of turmoil um, going on right. in society, and that's impacted uh, that age group in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I do see, um, you know, uh, folks that are of other age, age ranges. I see folks that are close to my age, I'm in my mid-30s, mm-hmm. um, as well as I think um, the oldest client I have, uh, she's 59. So. So yeah, I do see a wide range of individuals. Oh, okay. So, uh, Jamal, I know that you probably, I don't know, maybe you're abreast of um, the teen suicide that's been uh, prevalent in the last couple of weeks. It was an 11-year-old girl, and then it was a 14-year-old girl. The 11-year-old girl took her life in a bathroom stall. The 14-year-old girl um, was attacked by a bunch of teenagers and took her life. Both of them were, were bullied. Uh, dealing with depression and trying to treat it, do you ever see anyone that comes to you dealing with depression as far as bullying and um, the adolescent age of children? So I don't see kids as much anymore. Oh, okay. Um, but good chunk of those that deal with depression, uh, especially the ones that are um, in their 20s, um, a lot of that comes from uh, their their trauma in terms of bullying in school. Um, wow. One in particular, uh, he's, he's on the spectrum, and um, he suffered a lot of bullying when he was in, in grade school. Wow. So he still holds on to that today. Oh, okay. So um, I think we should, can you please possibly delve in a little bit about um parents and what you think they should do as far as what are the signs of the of them going through something such as this and what preventable measures can we take as parents to grab our children and know the signs and bring them to someone such as yourself so um the 
depression presents a little bit differently in children than they do in adults um, in a lot of cases. And it's not entirely different. Um, there's a lot of overlap, um, but there is a lot of, uh, there's some differences. Mm -hmm. um, irritability and um, anger outburst is a sign of depression amongst adolescents. Okay. Um, and that's, and if you know your child, right? right. You know, as parents, we, we definitely know our children. And if they are behaving different and that's going on consistently for um, like several weeks to over a month, mm -hmm. um, then there's reason to kind of investigate and see what's going on. If you have a connection with um, a relationship with the school counselor, with the right. teachers, um, you know, anybody from like if your child happens to be in the child study team or being followed by a child study team, um, those are the times to have those conversations and see, okay, like what's going on in the school. Mm -hmm. um, what's going on in the classroom? Are we seeing bullying? Um, there's been uh, definitely within like the last decade, if not longer, there's been a heavy uh, crackdown on bullying in the schools. Right. But, you know, the problem is is that with children's access to social media, and I think you know, social media is something that is talked about a lot when it comes to depression and mental health overall. Right. Um, like that is the. Um, it's it's kind of like this unreachable pathway to intervene in, um, you know, when trying to uh, address any issues that the kids might be going through in the schools. You think, um, you really think it's an unreachable pathway? I just think that, um, in my own opinion, because my son is 13, I think that uh, a different approach and a different technique needs to take place. I mean, gone are the old styles, of course, because the world has evolved just like us. So I think that um, the day of the come home from school and go in the room and shut the door, let's just get rid of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> let's yeah. just get rid of that, you yeah. know? And um, like um, my guest last week was saying, bring it to the table, you know, ask the child, how's your day going? Get extensive. I know we're, we can't prevent every incident from happening with our children, but we can get in more engaged in their lives and look for those signs that you are referring to, to try to prevent that from happening. Because it saddens me um, to think that 11 and 14 year olds haven't even begun their life, but their life is extinguished because somebody may or may have not reached out to them and sat them down. You know, I'm just saying hypothetically, you know, so, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, um, so many other things, especially when talking about childhood trauma, um, I, I worry about some of those, um, those children who do not have great home environments, um, where they don't feel that they have somebody to turn to at right. home, mm -hmm. maybe like an unstable home environment due to, or, or maybe an absent home environment. Mm -hmm. Um, there was somebody who I was listening to a few weeks ago who said something really interesting that, uh, you know, I mean, being that New Jersey is one of the more expensive states to live in, right? right um, you know, I can attest to it from my personal experience. Um, you know, my wife and I have two jobs. Wow. Right? Um, we are both working and trying to mitigate that while our son is young. And, right. You know, we're expecting another one. Uh, so we're trying to kind of turn things around where we can both spend time home with our with our boys. Right, right. right. Um, so that we're not like, you know, shipping them off into aftercare and, you know, shipping them off away from our supervision so that we don't have a direct um, connection mm -hmm. to have those conversations with them and be those present role models um, and not have them have to kind of like flounder, you know, out in the public to figure out who can they latch onto, who can they latch onto as a role model. Yeah. Um, where do they find themselves and things like that? And I, and I agree with that. And I, I commend you and your wife because I think that type of, like you said, environment where they're all over the place, I think you have no time to touch base with your child. Right, right. How, can you, how can you know his emotions or her emotions and what's going on in their daily lives when they're going here, they're going there? They're not stopping to think. They're not stock, stopping to process what they're going through in the course of a day. You know, you never know because... The parents have to work, I understand that, but you're working so hard, by the time you touch base, they're hanging with the wrong crowd, they're going through depression, there's a whole bunch of things going on that you never knew. 
And first thing some people say is, why didn't you tell me? Because you were so busy, I didn't have time to tell you. So yeah, I agree with that. So let's talk about um, depression some more. Are there different kinds of depression? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I won't uh, bore the audience with like the DSM-5 <laughs> criteria and all that other stuff. That's not boring. Stuff. That's not boring. <laughs> I don't me, think it's, it's boring. You know why? Because uh, it's giving, us a, giving them an indication of something they may have missed because sure. everybody thinks of the net the natural the same thing over and over but they need to know a difference so they'll know yeah so i'll, I'll be honest it's boring to me it's boring <laughs> to do, you i do more. have i do have um like my own um like ways of kind of assessing for different types of depression well so, please um mm -hmm. what i kind of look for sometimes and, and especially in the crisis setting i look for kind of what like what i described as more melancholic depression mm -hmm. right um, these are, and this fits under, uh, fits under when you look at the DSM-5 criteria, major depressive disorder. So if you have like symptoms of um, low energy or a motivation or just a lack of motivation to get up and do things, okay. um, if you're looking at it, it's called anhedonia or like just a lack of interest in the usual pleasurable activities. If you're somebody who likes to go outside, if you're somebody who likes to play sports, play video games, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. If you're engaging in these hobbies and it's just not doing it for you. Right. You're not enjoying yourself at all. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big sign of uh, big sign of depression. Um, reduced appetite, which you know we can get into later on. Right. Um, and uh, social isolation, right, where you're fun, where like somebody's in the room and you're just like you haven't been out your room in the past like eight hours. I see that you've been in bed all day. You're not eating. You're right. not attending to your personal hygiene. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Yeah. Right. So really, kind of like just reducing the daily performance or activities of daily living is something that we uh, call in the field. Um, that is a big sign of depression. It kind of fits under that umbrella of what I call like melancholic depression. Uh-huh. Now, um, that one was very common. That one, you stay in your room, mm -hmm. you don't have no appetite. Yeah. So automatically, that's the one everybody identifies with. Right. Um, yeah. Um, then there's um, uh, symptoms that kind of align more so uh, with um, what used to be called dysthymia or now called persistent depressive disorder okay and these are more like the individuals who are functionally depressive right so they are you know they're eating they're showering you know they're going to work but there's like just a sort of an underlying irritability okay uh throughout the entire day they're not necessarily pleasurable people to be around mm -hmm. they sort of um they may make like you know slight comments here and there um they also have uh, a lack of they're they're missing that connection that that ability to enjoy things right and stuff like that and it's having that for like a really long time it's like over a year and they're they don't feel like they can kind of break free from that level of like just like like a uh, a hint of misery life but again they're still functioning on a regular basis mm -hmm. um they're not somebody who if you were to look at it and say oof that person's having a really bad day like something's off with them mm -hmm. they don't present like that who are more intimate in their lives and they'll say, yeah, like they, they're just miserable. They're just, right. you know, bad. Well, like that. Thank you, Jamal. Do, can we have depression and don't, and don't know we have it? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the, um, I'd say both, in both instances. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, the persistent depressive disorder is very common. I have a client who, um, he kind of like, he may be, I would describe him, he's more on like the higher functioning end mm -hmm. of the persistent depressive disorder. Um, he's a, you know, he's a, a, a doctoral candidate, candidate mm -hmm. right? a PhD student. Right. Right. Um, so, but there is um, always like this low mood and like this constant like dissatisfaction with things and looking at things from a negative light. Right. Um, and when we kind of broke down the different symptoms and I had reiterated like, well, this is the diagnosis that I gave you. Mm -hmm. And he did, you know, his own research to look it up. He said, yeah, this makes sense. Oh, okay. Right? So definitely you can um, go on for years and not know that you have it. Okay. So we go on for years and not know what, uh, not know that we have it. What is going to be the result? Um, it can be it can be a wide range of things. If you're a higher functioning individual with depression, um, the result can be um, just uh, like a, a lack of satisfaction with those social connections mm -hmm. in your life. Um, 
I, I think like that's probably the biggest indicator because um, if you're if you're trying to be in like you know intimate with somebody, say in like a romantic relationship, you're dating somebody and they get closer and closer to you, and they realize that like you're just not into the relationship, right? right? You're always having like this negative outlook on things. Mm-hmm. You know, they make the, they they may make that decision to say, you know, I'm just just not happy around you, and they may they may leave the relationship, right? A sense of loneliness too, right? So that can be a result of like long term. Mm-hmm. Um, persistent depressive symptoms that's just one though because i'm thinking like and you tell me if i'm wrong i'm thinking if you go along being a functioning depressive person um i'm thinking sooner or later uh just like anything else just for lack of a better word short circuit Mm -hmm. Mm self-destruct that's the first thing that comes in my mind because how long can you internally go and carry depression depression around before it starts taking the outer appearance within you. Am I right? Right or wrong? Yeah, and, and that's that's when things get a little bit more concerning and suicide uh, suicide thoughts can start to come. Right. Yeah. That's what I thought, Jamal. Okay. Now, how can you tell when depression needs to be treated with medication? So the conventional answer for that is if you've gone on for several months um, in psychotherapy and um, there are um, there are various depression depression scales that you can use to kind of test this if mm-hmm. you're really concerned as to whether or not you need to take medication or not, um, and you're reassessing yourself um, like on a weekly or biweekly basis, and your scores have not moved in the positive direction on this depressive depressive scale, and you've been in psychotherapy for a while, mm-hmm. then it might be the time to um, look into getting uh, medication. Okay. Um, that is one component on the opposite end, going back up to some of the earlier, um, types of depression. Um, there are very, very, uh, demonstrative signs that like, okay, this person needs to be treated with meds, mm-hmm. right? If you're talking about somebody who hasn't showered in a week or somebody who, right. um, who's lost like 15 pounds in a month because they're, they're not eating, um, things like that, like that would very likely need like, you know, some sort of pharmacological uh, intervention to help them Mm -hmm. boost their mood up Mm -hmm. so that they can function again. Oh, wow. So that's like the red flag right there. Okay. All right. So, um, ah, it's internal, right? So what kind of lifestyle changes will help us, for lack of a better word, here I go again, Mm -hmm. lift our vibration because I think it's all connected. Um, uh, so the, the one thing that I was, <laughs> you look, to, you look like what? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is, this is me trying to read my notes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, or is there, or is there something we can do to lift it up? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Um, so I, I had a session with, um, with somebody, uh, last week mm-hmm. and we, there's, um, there's something that I always kind of, uh, uh resort to whenever I want to whenever there's like a, sort of a stopgap in therapy where like, you know, we're running into a wall and we're not seeing much progress or I want to kind of like reassess mm-hmm. our quality of life. And this is something that um, has been passed around a lot for the past, like, you know, at least decade, it's called the eight dimensions of wellness. Okay. Right. Um, and it has like this uh, comprehensive criteria of like the eight uh, different areas of your life. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I was reviewing this with him in session and we got to the environmental um, and kind of what we were talking about earlier in, in regards to um, childhood trauma, there was a, a significant amount of that that had occurred. Right. And he had admitted that because of that, he had retreated, retreated to his room. Right? Mm-hmm. So his room over the years became like his catch-all for everything. Right, like right. His workspace, his space of entertainment, his space of sleeping, his, his the place where he just spent passes the time, doesn't do anything else, mm-hmm. right? And um, um, we talked in which he can sort of like break himself free from that and like really designate like, okay, my bedroom is only for these specific tasks, mm-hmm. right? It only represents a place where I do these things, right? If I'm going to work, I'm going to step out and go to the dining room, right? If I want to entertain myself, I can do it in here or I can do it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of just like breaking, uh, not 
bedroom to be like the place that you do everything. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, and over the pandemic, I think that there was a lot of conversations about that where um, they, because, you know, we, most of us had to work remotely during right. the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and there was all, you know, alcoholism went up, substance abuse went up during the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. Right? Um, and it was, a lot of that was because people just did not know how to manage their daily routine. Yeah, it was different. It was very different. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to more answer your question, uh, a daily routine, I think, is very important, mm -hmm. right? Um, I find that a lot of folks, especially those that are um, underprivileged economically, um, they just they sit around. They don't do much. They don't have agendas and routines and, you know, things that they have planned throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So that's a big thing. Mm -hmm. well, um, yeah. There's a... Uh, there's a, a, a book that I had read very recently. I think I actually read it before, once before when I was younger mm -hmm. called Feeling Good. Right. Um, and then he had, uh, I have to get the author's name, um, but he had also released a, um, basically an update to that book called Feeling Great. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and he's uh, essentially like a DBT and, well, not DBT, uh, CBT and depression expert. Okay. Right. Um, and he has tons of tools in his books um, to help people, you know, um, combat their symptoms of depression and right. based off of his book i sort of like made my own journaling entry right. where um he would list like the various types of cognitive distortions that you know um, suck people into feeling more depressed mm -hmm. and then a way to sort of like as we call it put the thoughts on trial mm -hmm. right um so if you have like some kind of um if you have cbt material which there's tons of that resources online that you can use okay right and use that somewhat and for our viewers can you explain what cbt is yeah it's cognitive behavioral therapy okay right? and cognitive behavioral therapy is really about targeting you know what are the thoughts that um that motivate or influence your behaviors mm -hmm. right and uh and where i'm where i specifically focus on is uh, what's called cognitive distortions it's okay the different types of automatic thoughts that may, we may resort to um, in looking at things negatively. We may be overgeneralizing things. We may be catastrophizing things. We may be jumping to conclusions and mind reading what somebody else is doing or fortune telling maybe, mm -hmm. um, which means like we're assuming that they're going to do something. We may judge ourselves a distortion called labeling. Where wow. We may, you know, call ourselves all sorts of names or call the other person all sorts of names. Um, so we're making up a scenario in our heads, right. basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite ones, which is, um, I think it's big for like interpersonal stuff, is uh, should statements. Uh, that's another um, cognitive distortion where we um, we look at somebody else. And I think this is big on um, family relationships, romantic relationships, where, where we look at the other person, we're like, they should be doing this. Right. It's like, should they though? Like, or is it, would it be nice that they do that? Mm -hmm. We need to measure our expectations for other people. That's true too. Because if we set a high bar that everybody has to meet, yeah, you're gonna always get disappointed. Yeah, you're constantly gonna be disappointed. Mm -hmm. people, so. Wow, that was interesting, and that was very informative, Jamal. Um, okay, I'm depressed. You have me on medication. I come to you one day and I say, I want to do something alternative. I'm tired of being on this medication. Is making me feel loopy. Is making me feel crazy. What can I do in my daily life beside a routine? Well, what the routine mm -hmm. that will lighten my load, that will make me feel upbeat, more upbeat, and it'll make me feel better. Because so, you look pretty fit, so I'm, I'm looking for an answer. It's, it's, it's already formulated. Like you were talking about, it's already formulated in my head. Yeah, yeah, so I think yeah, you're gonna say, yeah, yeah. No, "Go ahead." Okay. There's, uh, there's data out there that um, that indicates that um, exercise, um, and specifically the one that I listened to, is a heavy weight lifting. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Can wow. act as an antidepressant. Okay. Um, and I remember, you know, like about a decade ago, I had skipped the gym session, and my mood for the rest of the day was off. I was irritable. I was impatient. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I was just not feeling myself. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I work with somebody who um, he's into weightlifting too. We worked out together, and we both, as we were talking, we were like, "It's like taking our meds, right? Right? Like going to the gym is like taking our meds for the day. If we skip our meds, then you know we're, we're not going to be feeling our 
ourselves. Mm -hmm. Even walking, because I do cardio. Yeah. And I know every, if I get into it and start on a regular basis, like you said, a routine, when I, I go out and do a couple of miles, when I come back, I feel refreshed. I feel energized. I feel like a something happened inside of my body my neck on a molecular uh, thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 make, it changes my mood totally. Yeah. yeah, it makes me feel invincible for some reason, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of that, all, all of those, like, you know, old, old styles of living, um, there's definitely something to it as, like, research is kind of, like, going back and incorporating, you know, a lot of these, like, quote-unquote, old, old wives' tales and uh, saying, mm -hmm. like, you know, what is the actual, um, you know, like, if we look at, like, brain scans, if you look at, uh, you know, uh, the data from how people, like, you look at a control of people who do not engage in these activities and people who do engage in these activities and, you know, rate what their mood is, right? Oh, okay. Things like going outside, as I said, exercising. Mm -hmm. um, one weird one is uh, a colleague of mine had invited us to do hot yoga one mm -hmm. time. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I understand that, like, these resources. What's that? I heard of yoga. What's hot yoga? Oh, uh, boy. Hot yoga is um, you go, you're basically doing yoga poses, but in a room like a sauna. It's not quite oh. as hot as a sauna. Like, wow. The temperature is, like, maybe, like, 90 something degrees in there. Oh my goodness. But yeah, I mean, you're, it's uncomfortable. It's mm -hmm. very uncomfortable. It can be painful. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I went home that day, it was, um, I can't describe it anything else, but like I felt like I was floating for the rest of the day, mm -hmm. right? Like it was a weird headspace. It was positive, right? But it was a weird headspace that I never really felt before. Wow. Um, so I think that like stuff like that is really, really helpful. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Jamal. Okay. Um, is there a crisis plan for people who suffer from depression? And what should a person do in an emergency? Definitely. Um, so, yeah. So, as I said, I worked in, um, I worked as a psychiatric trainer. I technically still am because um, I, I uphold my screening license. I, I work per diem as a, as a screening clinician. Oh, okay. And um, so, community mental health programs will have what's called a safety Mm -hmm. Right. And it sort of like breaks down, you know, step by step. Um, what is the one thing that's worth that in your life that's worth living for? Right. So it, as a reminder, it's like, OK, it's my son. OK, like he's the one thing that's worth living for. I want to remind myself of that so I don't deviate into um, having more suicidal thoughts. Right. Um, thinking about what are some of the warning signs that you're, that you're not OK. Are you noticing that you're isolating more? Are you noticing that you're having more crying spells and stuff like that? Those are indicators that, you know, you can say for yourself that I'm starting to not be okay. Mm -hmm. um, now, what, now, what's the difference um, between adults and children? Because I would think um, someone like 11 or 12 years old may not be cognizant of those emotions. Maybe. So um, that's probably makes them progressively get to that space of there's no way out. So what's the warning signs that us as parents should be looking for as far as them not being cognizant of the routine they have took on when they entered in depression that makes them get to that space where there's no yeah. way out? Mm -hmm. I, I always ask those questions. Um, like, if I was an outside observer looking at you, how would I know that you're not? Exactly. Okay? Instead of them saying internally, like, you know, what those signs are, because like you said, somebody from the outside looking at them might not see. Mm -hmm. um, and Back to, you know, something I, I mentioned earlier is, you know, uh, is your child off baseline, meaning that are they not acting themselves? Right. If, you're, um, if your son or daughter are, is usually somebody who, you know, will run to you, jump in your lap and, you know, sit right next to you on the couch and watch TV, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, they come home from school, they're not talking, right? They, you know, go in their room, they shut the door and then right. they're in there. Mm -hmm. Call them for dinner. They're like, nah, I don't want to come out. Right. Okay. Has this gone on for the entire week? Has this gone on for like the past two weeks? Something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. And then that's when you need to, you know, assertively press yourself in and be like, what's going on? You're not yourself. I know you're not. Right. right? So tell me what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but then to go down the crisis plan, um, you know, what we also ask people are who are people that you can talk to when you're having a bad day? Do you oh, okay. talk to mom and dad? Do you talk to your friends? Do you talk to your siblings and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. And then you get into the crisis situation, right? Now, for parents, um, it's it's a little bit easier, right? Because you can just say, okay, we're going. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if and to 
you know, explicitly state, you know, what a crisis situation is, right? It can be, and when we're talking about depression, number one, right. um, you know, they're expressing a, uh, suicidal thoughts, right? They're making statements of, you know, I, I think I want to kill myself. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking about dying, right? That's when you need to take them in for an assessment. Right. Um, on the opposite end, you know, kind of stepping away from children for a second, um, there was a woman that we had seen multiple times in crisis. Mm -hmm. um, she was very frail as is, right? I, I feel that she might have had a medical condition that was contributing to that. Right. But regularly, she would just not eat. And she would drop from like the mid 80s. And I think the lightest weight that she had dropped down to is like the high 60s. Oh, wow. Extremely frail. It wasn't an eating disorder. It was just depression. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, very, very, very like just poor functioning. Um, and every every single time we got called, we had to take her. Mm -hmm. you know, we had to send her to the hospital, like stabilize her medically. Because right. her vitals were not okay, you know, at that weight. And then, you know, once she got back up to like being more medically stable, then she was transferred to the psychiatric hospital. But in any, in any instance where if they have a chronic medical condition mm -hmm. that they are not taken care of, right. right? Like if someone has high blood pressure, if they're diabetic and they're just not tending to those needs, mm -hmm. um, that's a crisis. Yeah. No suicidality there. It's still a crisis though, because their depression is affecting their ability to take care of their basic needs. Mm -hmm. But back to the suicidal stuff, mm -hmm. um, you know, what we, we need to, I think we need to have you see somebody in an emergency situation. Right. And then here in the state of New Jersey, um, you know, we have what's called a screening line and every single county in the, in the state at least has one screening center. I believe Essex County is the only one oh, that okay. has three. Oh, okay. Um, and they could go about it a couple of different ways. Um, if you're a parent, you take a child, mm -hmm. right? If say you are a, you're a single parent, mom, you know, weighing like, you know, above 50, and then you got a 200 or 190 pounds, six foot, you know, child, right? And they're extremely resistive to doing that. Mm -hmm. And be like, okay, well, we may need to call emergency services and have them, you know, escort you to the emergency room. Right. Right. Um, now, as a child, like, you know, the screen wall doesn't really pertain to them, right? But as an adult, it does. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when, uh, you know, the mobile response team will come out, mm -hmm. they'll assess the individual in question, make the determination on the spot if they need a further evaluation. If they don't, they'll leave them. If mm -hmm. they do, then they'll say, then we need to have you escorted. Right. By the law, it's um, it's escorted by police. Okay. But in 98% of cases, um, EMS is usually the one that does the transportation. Mm -hmm. And then they take them to, you know, any of the hospitals that have like a crisis clinician on staff to do the assessment mm -hmm. initially approved by a psychiatrist or uh, of course, yeah. psychiatrist consult. And mm -hmm. then, you know, they make a determination as to whether or not somebody needs to be admitted or not with discharge to a higher level of care, meaning, you know, do they need services? Is the services that they're getting right now inadequate? Do they need something more intense? Right, right. Um, stuff like that. Okay. Well, let's go back and talk about um, what you were discussing, discussing before with the children who do not have parental uh, parental uh, care at home. Mm -hmm. The ones that's not fortunate to have someone really involved or engaged in their lives for one reason or another. Um, I'm coming to you as the principal. I called you up, Jamal. Mm -hmm. And I'm asking you, Mr. Ryan, what do you think our course of action should be in these schools in regards to helping these kids that look the old saying, I didn't even go say latchkey, but <laughs> that's the old yeah, saying. Yeah. But the ones who watch, take care of themselves, basically. What do you think we should do? To, to maybe step away from what actually uh, is going on in the schools. Um, you know, they have IEPs and 504 plans for those that have. Oh, really? Like, yeah, yeah. They oh, have, okay. Um, they, they, they are followed by child study teams, and they may make certain accommodations for children. If there's a learning disability, you know, they'll make the appropriate accommodations for that. If there is um, emotional disturbance in the child, they'll make accommodations for that as well. Oh, that's as cool. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, as for what specifically those accommodations look like, I don't know all the details because mm -hmm. I've never worked in the schools. Mm -hmm. But I've seen a, a number of kids that have um, had those supports in, in class. Um, 
and in, in the worst case scenario, and this probably steps to this answers one of your questions is they may um, transfer them to an alternative school if the child is like too quote unquote behavioral. Um, I'm very hot and cold on that to be You are? Yeah, because I mean, the the alternative schools, they have the alternative schools and then they have the behavioral schools. Right, right. Um, right. Okay. Uh, or, I'm sorry, uh, the alternative schools and the therapeutic schools. Therapeutic schools, uh, yeah. yeah. Therapeutic schools are, uh, you know, they have the building that I worked in um, in crisis is attached to a therapeutic school. So on, regular, on a regular basis, I'll pass through and kind of like see what's going on. We would have some of those children referred to our services. Okay. Um, so they have, um, obviously they have clinicians that see them on a regular basis. They have padded rooms, you know, God forbid that the child becomes uh, violent, mm -hmm. right? I, I would say a good therapeutic school doesn't always resort to sending somebody to crisis. Mm -hmm. They're usually able to kind of handle the situation Internally, mm -hmm. right? If a child is, you know, um, behaving a certain way, making certain statements, right? Um, but what what they should do is, uh, what my personal opinion mm -hmm. is, uh, find like you know certain types of activities that get them heavily involved outside of just the academic curriculum, right? Something that like you know gives them some kind of progressive purpose. If Outlet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you find something in the child's interest that you know you can cultivate, whether it's coding, whether it's sports, whether it's engineering and robotics, mm -hmm. whatever it may be, whatever you can sort of pull the thread on what that child's really latched onto, mm -hmm. find a way to cultivate that child's interests, right? Because if you're not doing that appropriately, you know, the child's going to fold off into, you know, more negative right mental aspects and i agree with that 100 percent, jamal i could have said that myself mm -hmm. i agree with that totally now okay that was a great answer now okay i'm coming to you as somebody the the mayor of new york mm -hmm. you know how many people are out on the street there mm -hmm. and what kind what what percentage do you think most of the people are dealing with depression because there's a lot of mental health illness, but I think, doesn't it escalate from that to that? Or no? Or am I off? From depression mm -hmm. to flow, maybe full-blown mental health issues? Or am I off? Or explain to me. So if, if we're talking about like um, homelessness, um, like say in New York or so now it's everywhere. California's California is everywhere. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was, was going to say California. Mm -hmm. um, there's a um, there's a program on YouTube called Soft Light Underbelly, mm -hmm. um, and it's uh, this guy who used to work in advertising then sort of uh, fell down this rabbit hole just interviewing people. He primarily interviewed people in Skid Row before he started touring the country and okay. interviewing people all over. Um, the consistent stories throughout a lot of those instances is um forgive the classic term broken homes right um leading it, uh, the some, reason why i asked you that because they said that um then of course the numbers rose since 2020 yeah. they rose up and i know that there's a lot of people who um unfortunately like you said became homeless mm -hmm. i could imagine if you don't have nowhere to live you're depressed when you know you're you're becoming homeless so you're out on the street so people are labeling you um crazy or you're suffering from this but really it probably is just depression you probably fell into a slump where you was forced out of your home you know a lot of people lost their homes unfortunately during the pandemic right. <clears throat> and um was unable to climb back in so um one of the other, uh, going all the way to the top of what we were talking about, the different types of depression, is mm -hmm. um, one thing One thing that I would say is like an adjustment disorder, Okay. right? Which is essentially that there hasn't been a significant event that has happened in your life um, where you are exhibiting symptoms of depression or what happened. Just throw you right off. Right, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So whether it's a job loss, whether it's um, a loss of a loved one, and then you'll have, you know, signs of depression otherwise. Right. And with the pandemic, um, you know, the, tons of jobs were lost. Like a lot of people laid, got laid off. Um, and a lot of people couldn't recoup, lost. Jamal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, they may have found, they may have had a lot of trouble trying to 
get back on their feet, mm-hmm. right? Find another place of employment. Maybe they were already behind on rent. Yeah. Right. So you have like your different levels of like, okay, there are people that are doing okay. There are people that are struggling. There are people who are obviously doing extremely well, don't have to worry about anything. And maybe the people that were struggling and they were kind of like towing the line, they got pushed out and knocked out into the Yeah, that's the ones right I call the voiceless. Yeah. That's the ones because they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to come forth. They did, they're in disbelief that it happened. Yeah. So that disbelief caused them to shut down. Mm-hmm. When, when in turn becomes, depre- I'm, the, I'm depressed now. Precisely. I can't come out of my yeah. shell. It's Precisely. like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. then that sense of hopelessness is like, damn, like, I mean, I did an intake with uh, a lady the other day and, you know, she got an eviction Mm-hmm. Right, you know, she's working a full time job, yeah. Right, she got an eviction notice, but this economy is crazy, right? Yeah. And, that, and mm-hmm. imagine, like, you know, wherever it is that she was working, right? Uh, closed, right, for whatever reason, right? Um, she had she could have had a hell of a time finding unemployment benefits mm-hmm. because, um, the stories that people were telling about, you know, trying to get those unemployment benefits, it's taking so long, right? Right, right. just not getting reimbursed in time, mm-hmm. and then. I know the eviction moratorium came in some somewhere within that time, but you know, okay, I lost my source of income. I'm not getting any luck with unemployment right now. I don't have any money. I have zero dollars in my bank account. Right. And now I'm knocked out into the streets. And then they feel a sense of defeat, as you said, and they're just like, I just kind of, I can't, I don't have the energy to care right now. Right. So I'm just sleeping on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that that was a big component. Um, one thing that was very interesting this might be slightly off topic is while I was working in crisis, because, mm-hmm. you know, we paid attention to the flow of people. Like you work in crisis long enough, there are patterns in terms of who's coming into crisis. At, at oh, okay. Time, okay. Right? You know, um, so where I was working, um, uh, midterms and finals for college students. Oh, yes. Right? Because mm-hmm. anybody who's going on academic probation or anybody who was nervous about the midterms or finals, exchange students, um, you know, to bring like uh, culture into the conversation, mm-hmm. um, you know, from the Asian population, right, from the Indian population, you know, there's a lot of yeah. shame in not doing well academically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw a lot of those coming, right? Um, at the, Right before school starts for grade, grade school students, right? Anxiety. Um, they, a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. going back into school, right? Wanted to come into crisis for one reason or another, mm-hmm. right? Um, when the pandemic hit, we did see a big reduction in terms of people that were coming into crisis. Mm -hmm. However, the hospitalization rate for children did not change. Right, right. Right. Kids were still coming in and getting admitted for different reasons Mm -hmm. because, you know, remote schooling, parents at home, maybe these are dysfunctional home environments, Mm -hmm. tensions are high whatever it is, whatever underlying issues that uh, were occurring between the parent and the child intensified because now they're on top of each other right. and they're not leaving the home. Mm-hmm. And for one reason or another, you know, whether it's, you know, and I don't mean to sound uh, like dismissive, but, you know, there are students or, or young folks that turn to the hospital because it's like, it is a place that is away from home. I understand that. You yeah. Know, mm-hmm. um, those that have, you know, attempted suicide, uh, thankfully they were unsuccessful and then they had to come to crisis and get admitted. Right. Wow. That is so interesting. It all makes sense too. Um, if you, well, it's not if you, I want you to um, elaborate on whatever you would tell a person right now that's going through depression that, like we just stated, shut down because the last couple of years has been so traumatic to them. They can't even speak about it. They are, their mouths are closed and they have nowhere to turn. Like you were saying, they have no confidants. They have no family who cares. What would you tell that person who's at home right now, but they want to reach out, but they're afraid? Well, what's, what's nice is that uh, since the pandemic, um, the demand for mental health treatment hasn't gone high so much. Mm-hmm. Right. And, Anybody, any of us who, you know, frequently watch YouTube or even just like, you know, just watching entertainment in general is like, we're seeing tons of commercials of um, services like BetterHelp, 
right? Or a lot of these remote therapeutic services. And they that is so wonderful. I think that was wonderful. When they came out with that call-in number mm-hmm. and the doctor could actually call you because some people don't want to go outside mm-hmm. still. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So is that's, that's, what's the telehealth? Uh, better help. Better is help. One of the platforms. Okay. Yeah, there's a number of other platforms out there since then. You have any numbers that you can you can um, give us at the end of the show? Did you get some? Oof. No. Um, so for off the top of my head, uh, one there there are lots of um, suicide hotlines on nine eight eight. It's kind of like nine one one, but it's it said it's nine eight eight at least you know around this area in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, is a is a platform that people can turn to. Right. And what I what I I try to advise people to do is that like every mental health service knows about several other mental health services because part of the field as a social worker is that we make referrals. We point people in the directions to get additional services right. if you can't get everything here in-house. Mm-hmm. So at, to go back to your first question of like, you know, if somebody's depressed and they don't know what to do, call somebody, mm-hmm. right? Ask questions, right? right? And then you're bound to get somebody who say, hey, we don't necessarily do that. However, okay. here are some numbers that will point you in the right direction. If you find yourself to be somebody who's impatient and hates the ping ponging of like, you know, this person will help me this. If you have somebody that is supportive in your life that will be patient and sit with you and do that, definitely take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. But like as people are bound to kind of come across a lot of these remote services, like texting services and phone call services and obviously telehealth over video or or in-person therapy, um, take advantage of that, Mm -hmm. right? Like you latch on to any of these services and then you're in the system not in like a stigmatizing way but in a way that like you can as i said earlier ask questions if this is not helping you out then you can get referred to somebody who will ideally be able to meet your needs and is the wait um usually a long time because what if someone calls and uh they're in need of immediate attention and they tell them to wait three months or so is it like that or no it can be yeah for, for some for some services yes um so like uh i can only talk about new jersey so new jersey has a lot of community mental health um, mm-hmm. programs right okay. those are different from private practice or just like private clinics in general mm-hmm. right and um community mental health like i know in um say like somerset county uh is richard hall community mental health center um in Middlesex County um, University of Behavioral Healthcare under Rutgers has a right. bunch of sites all over the state, mm-hmm. right? Um, but there are um, community mental health centers assigned to almost every county, should be every county in the state. Mm-hmm. And they actually are able to keep up with those referrals a lot faster than like some of the more privatized clinics. I know for me, like I've had a heck of a time trying to refer people out. Like there was this one clinic where they were told me a three month wait. I said, I can't. I can't, I can't do that. That is crazy. I do that. I, have, mm-hmm. I need somebody that is more responsive. Right. And the community mental health centers have been more, more on top of it. Now, say if you get into like a community mental health center and like the services are inadequate in some need mm-hmm. or not in some need in some way, shape or form, mm-hmm. as I said earlier, you're in the system. So that if that's not meeting your needs, then ask questions see if somebody if somebody from that uh, program can link you up to services right um later on the program that i work for in particular were a 30-day program Mm -hmm. and within that time you know we will um, look to see if we can refer you to more long-term services okay so um you're saying that if i'm home and i'm i need immediate attention and okay i want to wait about a week or two but they're telling me three months, but I'm at an advanced point in my depression where I'm saying, I can't wait that long. I know I can't wait that long. There's a, there's other alternatives. Mm-hmm. You said Rutgers mental health and where else? New Jersey, um, for Somerset County, Richard Hall community mental health centers is another one. Um, I, I almost want to do this in real time and uh, try to see like what the community mental health agencies are in each county. Right. Um, those are the ones that typically are more responsive. Okay. The ones in each county. Okay. Yeah. Alrighty. Sure. Okay. Well, Jamal, um, you want to tell our viewers where you're located because you was very thorough on this show. I'm sure they may want to reach out to you. Where are you located? 
So I'm located in Somerset County. That's part of the reason why I know a little bit um, about there. Um, so in my psychology today profile, I, I see I'm, I'm completely remote in, in the private practice that I work for. So I see people all over New Jersey. Okay. Um, for for the program that I work for, I do work for Rutgers UBHC, right, um, in Somerset County. So we have those services available. Mm -hmm. I thought um, you was in Holland, Holland Park. Oh, oh, so so the uh, private practice that I that I work for, um, our office is stationed in Highland Park. You want to give out the person. you want to give out the number? Sure, yeah. The, uh, so that one I work for remotely. Um, give me one second, because it's been a while since I've looked up this information. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, so it's 732-876-9587. Uh, I'll repeat it one more time. 732-876-9587. Um, on my profile on Psychology Today, so, and disclosure, I'm not taking any uh, new clients right now. Okay. I'm booked. Um, okay. So I've, I've had demand, so if there's... Do you give referrals? No. <laughs> I, no, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, whenever, okay. whenever I make that connection with the client and I don't have anybody, Right, right. Okay. Um, but I do apologize for anybody who's reached out to me and I haven't been able to get back to them because I've, I've had a lot of um, inbox requests okay. uh, for services. Um, Alrighty. But yeah, like I said, you know, call anybody, right? You know, um, if you feel frustrated with that process, if you have somebody that can support you in that endeavor, um, you know, allow them to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, you know, if that service is not helping you, you can eventually find yourself with a service that will be able to help you. The mental health service does feel fragmented, and, and I do empathize with that um, frustration with people. Mm -hmm. um, but so long as you're patient, right, um, you will be ushered in the right direction eventually. Mm -hmm. And if you're going through dep depression and you feel like that you are about to go to, through depression, please seek help. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a confidant, you don't have family members, please call a number. And Jamal, we have reached the end of our broadcast. And I thank you very much for accepting my invitation to the show. And we have a board. I created a board um, to give people hope and people perseverance. And I would like for you to have the honors of signing the board and putting underneath your signature any word that would give my viewers hope or perseverance. Sure, we're doing this in real time. We are doing this in real time. And it is canvas, so lightly, Jamal. Lightly. <laughs> and after you finish, you can speak your word aloud or your quote aloud or whatever you're writing. So what I'll write is help is always available. Uh, just please be patient. Mm, okay. He said help is always available. Please be patient. Thank you, Jamal. And I would like to thank all my viewers for watching today. Thank you for coming to Cathartic Conversations. I'm Kathy, and I'll see you on the next show. Have a good day. Bye-bye.